You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. All right, we made it to Ezekiel chapter 33. We're getting kind of getting kind of close, so uh, we're, we're working our way through. And the title of the message tonight is, Now What? Now What? A major event happens that Ezekiel had been prophesying was going to happen. And now that the event happens, the question is, well, now what? <laughs> How are God's people to proceed now that the event that Ezekiel has said is coming to pass, came to pass. We're going to look at Ezekiel chapter 33 and 34. But notice there the outline. I love to point you to this outline. I'm an outline guy. It just helps me to understand how a, a book is laid out and when I'm, when I'm reading a passage, where it falls in that book, the unfolding message of that book. So outlines really help me. This is a very, very broad outline. Five parts, but we're going to see a shift tonight in terms of moving from one part of the outline to the next. So notice there, uh, Ezekiel's call is found in chapters 1 through 3. Just kind of a quick reminder, because of God's judgment on the Jews, many of the Jews were taken from Israel, from Judah, the promised land, into captivity in Babylon. One of those Jews who was taken was a young priest named Ezekiel. And during his time there, God said, Ezekiel, I want you to be the man that communicates my message to my people. And so the story of that call is found in chapters 1 through 3. Part 2, there are some very pointed and direct, specific messages for Jerusalem and Judah, for the, the capital city of Jerusalem and the surrounding area of Judah. A lot of that is uh, God's message uh, telling them what's coming. Uh, specifically the destruction of Jerusalem. Part four or part three uh, consists of messages for foreign nations. So we've been looking at that the past few weeks. We talked about God's messages for Egypt and Tyre and the Ammonites and the Edomites, and we've kind of walked through that. But now we're going to shift from part three of the outline to part four of the outline. And this is probably my favorite part of the book of Ezekiel. We're going to talk about things like the New Covenant. We're going to talk about probably the most well-known chapter in this book, The Valley of Dry Bones. I can't wait to get to that. Uh, and and some, there's just some good stuff coming up in Ezekiel 33 through 39. But this is a message after the fall of Jerusalem. So Ezekiel keeps saying, under uh, the, the inspiration of the Spirit of God, judgment is coming. God is going to destroy uh, the city of Jerusalem is going to be burned by the Babylonians, who will be an instrument of judgment in God's hands. And we're going to see uh, tonight that that happened, that the, 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 the fall of Jerusalem happened. And now God has some message for them on the other side of that uh, catastrophic event. So a message after the fall of Jerusalem. You're going to see there are some, again, very direct um, messages for the people of God. But there are also some, some highlights of hope for the people of God. So we will see that. And then part five is a vision of restoration, and uh, the book ends on a high note, an interesting note. 
Summary of the book from Exile in Babylon, Ezekiel's stunning visions and startling symbolic acts were prophecies for the Israelites to teach God's sovereign plan over them in the history of his kingdom so that they shall know that I am the Lord. When the dust settled, God wanted his people to know you should not worship false gods. You should not worship other gods. I am the Lord. Worship me. And, and that's really the point of the entire book of Ezekiel and the major takeaway for all of our lives. He should have our focus, our obedience, our love, our adoration. We should worship him and worship him alone. Now, to kind of bring you back to the context of, of this part of the outline, a message after the fall of Jerusalem, I want to show you how we know this is happening. Look over in Ezekiel 33. Ezekiel 33. We're going to back up a little bit, but before we back up to the beginning of, of chapter 33, look in verse 21. Ezekiel 33, verse 21. In the twelfth year of our exile, in the tenth month, on the fifth day of the month, a fugitive from Jerusalem came to me and said, The city has been struck down. So remember, Ezekiel, he's the priest, the prophet, he's in Babylon, he's in captivity, he's in exile, another nation. And someone escapes the destruction of Jerusalem, comes into town and comes to Ezekiel and says, it happened. Jerusalem has been burned with fire. It has been destroyed. The city has been struck down. And he says, now the hand of the Lord had been upon me the evening before the fugitive came. And he had opened my mouth by the time the man came to me in the morning. So my mouth was open. I was no longer mute. Remember earlier in the book, God made Ezekiel mute until the prophecies that he was telling them would come to pass that the people did not believe came to pass. And once the prophecies came to pass, then he was able to speak again and give them the answer to the question, now what? So that's the, the, the context. Ezekiel's saying, judgment's coming, Jerusalem will be destroyed, it will be catastrophic, and someone escapes from Jerusalem, comes into town and says, yep, it happened. Jerusalem has been destroyed. So what we're going to look at tonight in chapter 33 and 34 is... Uh, five relevant messages. I use the word relevant because we're going to take these messages and apply them to our lives. Because each of these messages deal with a spiritual issue. All right, Five relevant messages for the next phase of Israel's existence. How are they supposed to carry on? How are they supposed to live? How are they supposed to proceed after hearing the devastating news that their capital... The place that was the center of worship of the one true God had been destroyed. What now? Now what? These five messages help them to answer that question. And again, there is direct application for our lives. Because again, they all deal with the spiritual issue. So, the first message is a word for Ezekiel. God has a word for his prophet. Now back up to chapter 33, verse 1. The Bible says, The word of the Lord came to me. This is Ezekiel speaking. Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, If I bring the sword upon a land, and the people of the land take a man from among them, and make him their watchman, and if he sees the sword coming upon the land, and blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning, and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take warning, his blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. 
But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, so the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, and this is critical, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, a wicked one, you shall surely die. And you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way. That wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. And so the Lord here is picking up a theme that we looked at way back in chapter 3 when God called Ezekiel. He uses this imagery of the watchman. And you know that in those days and times, major cities had large walls surrounding them for defensive purposes. And it was customary for these walls to have people on the top of them who were walking back and forth, maybe even circling, who were keeping an eye out for... Uh, enemies for invaders, and if they saw danger coming, they would blow a trumpet, uh, something like a shofar. They would blow that trumpet to to warn the city so they could get ready for the advancing enemies. So he's saying here, Ezekiel, I've made you a watchman, and the application is really, really clear uh, that if a watchman doesn't do his job, well, people are destroyed, and also the watchman is responsible, right? But if the watchman does his job and people don't heed the watchman, that's on them. But the watchman is, has a clean conscience before the Lord because he has obeyed. He has done his job. So just a reminder, Ezekiel, you are a watchman. Now what's the application, what's the spiritual issue that God's dealing with here that we can apply to our own lives? If you look there in your notes, here it is. People need to be warned of coming Judgment. People need to be warned of coming judgment. The Bible is very, very clear. It's not a pleasant thing to think about. It's not a pleasant thing to learn about. But it is truth that judgment is coming for those that do not know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. The Bible uses very graphic imagery, a very graphic language to speak of eternal separation from God in that awful place called hell. And it uses uh, words like darkness, and it uses phrases like a place where the worm never dies, and it uses uh, words like torment and burning and fire. Uh, hell is real. It is, a, it is a reality, and those that do not know the Lord Jesus, if they die in that spiritual condition, they will spend eternity in that awful place called hell. Now, our job as those who know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, if we are born again, our job is to sound the warning. Our job is to blow the spiritual shofar and say, listen, you need to be right with God. God loves you. You don't have to go to hell. You don't have to spend eternity separated from God. You can experience His forgiveness, His life, His hope. Uh, you can experience eternity in heaven because God loves you. It's a good news message. But in a very real sense, we are called to be watchmen. The, the New Testament imagery is that of witnesses. Now that you've experienced Jesus, you are to bear witness as to what that experience is all about by telling other people. And so if we are not faithful to warn, 
then we do not have a clear conscience before the Lord, right? We're, we're responsible, we're accountable for whether or not we warn society, culture, our community that judgment is real. R.G. Lee was the longtime pastor of uh, Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis in the early 1900s. He was, a, I think, a three-time Southern Baptist Convention president. He was a three-time Baptist World Alliance president. Uh, he preached a very famous sermon called Payday Someday. He preached it over 1,200 times all around the nation and world. So you may have heard of that sermon, Payday Someday, one of my favorite sermons to listen to. Very distinct. He had a very distinct uh, way of speaking and magnificent vocabulary. He was just a, he was a wonderful, wonderful preacher. But I, I read uh, him one time saying this. He said, if I could take my congregation to hell... For just five minutes. If I could take them to hell just for five minutes, they would come back a transformed people. There would be a new seriousness, a new gravity about the things of God, about eternity, about our need to be faithful watchmen. So, message number one, a word for Ezekiel, just reminding him, hey Ezekiel, you're a watchman, do your job. Relevant message number two, there's a word for the nation of Israel. He has a word for the Jews now that their capital city has been destroyed. Look what it says in chapter 33, verse 10. And you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus have you said, Surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us, and we rot away because of them. How then can we live? Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord God, I, will have, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live, turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? And you, son of man, say to your people, the righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him when he transgresses. And as for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall by it when he turns from his wickedness, and the righteous shall not li- be able to live by his righteousness when he sins." Though I say to the righteous that he shall surely live, yet if he trusts in his righteousness and does, not in, and does injustice, none of his righteous deeds shall be remembered. But in his injustice that he has done, he shall die. Again, though I say to the wicked, you shall surely die. Yet if he turns from his sin and does what is just and right, if the wicked restores the pledge, gives back what he's taken by robbery, walks in the statutes of life, not doing injustice, he shall surely live, he shall not die. None of the sins that he has committed shall be remembered against him. He has done what is just and right. He shall surely live. So what is the Lord saying to his people? They're basically saying, what do we do now? Our our judgment has come. It's devastating. Our, Our city has been burned with fire. We have thousands in captivity. There's no hope. There's no future. What now? And the Lord has this message to say, get right with me. Get right with me. Uh, and, and, and again, this is a spiritual issue, so it applies to all of us. And the application here is this, and he's saying this to the nation of Israel. As long as we have life, it's never too late to turn to God. That's what he's saying to Israel. Yes, judgment has come. It looks hopeless. It looks bleak. It looks dark. But I want you to know that even in the face of this devastation... It's never too late to turn to me. 
And that, again, is a message we have of hope, that if people's hearts are still beating, their lungs are still breathing, it's never too late to turn to the one true God. Now, here's the reason that's true, because of God's character. Look what it says there in verse 10. He says, or verse 11, Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live and turn back. Turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? The reason people have an opportunity to turn to God is because God is a God of mercy. He's a God of hope. He responds to those that turn to him. He, he takes no pleasure in meeting out judgment, but because he is holy and because people ignore him and reject him, his judgment will come. But God in his heart is a merciful God. He takes no pleasure in judgment or the death of the wicked. So there is always hope as long as people have life. And in verses 12 through 20, which we read together, he's reminding them, when you stand before God one day, it's not going to be how you started, it's how you finished. We read those verses together that some people start out looking righteous, but when it's all said and done, they ended very, very badly, indicating they did not know the one true God. And he's saying, you'll be judged for your wickedness. He says, other people started off very wicked, but a change happened, and they started serving the Lord and believing in the Lord and living for the Lord, and they will be judged accordingly. They will be given the gift of life. And so the point is this, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And if someone has lived a life that is, um, that, that is filled with iniquity and rebellion and wickedness and rejection, God is just one prayer away. Amen? Isn't that good news? One prayer away. Anyone can walk in this room, no matter what has happened in their life, no matter what is in their background, if they will turn to Jesus, they can be forgiven and made right with God. So as long as we live, as long as we have life, it's never too late to turn to God. That's a word for the nation of Israel. Uh, Number three, a word for the people in Jerusalem. So remember, Jerusalem had been destroyed. There's still some people trying to kind of pick up the pieces. I mean, think about people down in uh, central South Florida right now. They're just, you know, houses are destroyed and, and businesses destroyed and, and vehicles washed away and, and people are just trying to kind of pick up the pieces. They're kind of, you know, wandering around in a fog right now just trying to figure out what, what is next. And that kind of gives you a mental picture for w- what it was like in Jerusalem. It had been destroyed and there are still some people there trying to, to pick up the pieces. But God has a word for the people in Jerusalem. Look what it says in verse 21. He says, the, the word came from Jerusalem, a fugitive, the city has been struck down. Now look in verse 23. He says, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, the inhabitants of these waste places in the land of Israel keep saying, Abraham was only one man, and he got possession of the land, but we are many, the land is surely given us to possess. Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord God, you eat flesh with the blood, lift up your eyes to your idols and shed blood. Shall you then possess the land? You rely on the sword, you commit abominations. Each of you defiles his neighbor's wife. Shall you then possess the land? Say this to them, thus says the Lord God, As I live, surely those who are in the waste places shall fall by the sword. Whoever is in the open field I will give to the beast to be devoured. And those who are in strongholds and in caves shall die by Pestilence. I will make the land a desolation and a waste. 
and her proud might shall come to an end. The mountains of Israel shall be so desolate that none will pass through. Now look at verse 29. Then they will know that I am the Lord when I have made the land a desolation and a waste because of all their abominations that they have committed. Now here's what's happening. Interesting attitude on display by the Jews who were living in Jerusalem and Judah. It went something like this. We're children of Abraham. We'll always live in this land. God said he'd give it to us. And uh, I, I know there's this crazy prophet talking about judgment over there in Babylon. But he's not, he's not going to judge us. We can, we can ignore God, reject God, disobey God, do our own thing, but still expect God's blessing on us. That was their, that was their attitude. Still expect God's blessing on us. So what's the takeaway? What's the spiritual issue being dealt with here that, that we can think about and apply to our own lives? Here it is. Do not presume upon God's blessings if you are living in disobedience. Do not presume upon God's blessings if you, if you are living in disobedience. So if you are living a life that is bereft of the Lord and you're just doing your own thing, going your own direction, uh, in rebellion, rejection, disobedience, then don't, don't think that you are, are, are going to receive or worthy to receive His blessings. That's not how it works. God wants you to take Him seriously. And then there are blessings that come as a result of our disobedience, or as a result of our obedience. So let me illustrate this. So let's just say that um, one of my kids, I walk by their room, and it's just, it's just filthy. There's, you know, there's, there's potato chip wrappers on the floor and glasses from the kitchen they took upstairs, and there's you know, dirty clothes on the floor, and the bed's unmade, and, it's, and it hadn't been swept, and it's just, it's just messy. And I say, hey, clean your room, Okay. And I walk back by, you know, a few hours later, nothing's been done, no cleaning, not even, no one's lifted a finger. And I look at it and I say, hey, you, I told you to clean your room, you need to clean your room. And, and, uh, and, I, and I walk away and I come back a few hours later, I peek in there, nothing has been done. Now let's just say that said child comes to me at that moment and says, hey dad, let's go get some ice cream. Now what's my response going to be? My response is going to be, why don't you do what I told you to do? And after you've done what I've told you to do, then we'll talk about a, a blessing, an answer to your requests. That makes sense? But see, a lot of us do the exact same thing in our relationship with God. We have vast areas of spiritual neglect in our lives, but then we say, hey, God, bless me. Give me this, give me that, help me here, help me there. And we're asking God for blessing. We're presuming upon God's blessing while, while there are these, these major areas of spiritual neglect in our lives. So here's what we should learn from the Jews who are still living in Jerusalem and Judah. We should learn that, hey, do what God tells you to do. And then you can be in a place where you expect God to respond to the needs and requests that you have in your life. So there's a word for the people in Jerusalem. Number four, a word for the people in exile. So remember there were Jews in Jerusalem, Judah. There were thousands taken from Jerusalem and Judah into Babylon. 
And so there's a word for those Jews in chapter 33, verses 30 through 33. So look there with me, chapter 33, verse 30. As for you, son of man, your people who talk together about you by the walls and at the doors of the houses say to one another, each to his brother, come and hear what the word word is that comes from the Lord. And they come to you as people come, and they sit before you as my people, and they hear what you say, but they will not do it. For with lustful talk in their mouths they act, their heart is set on their gain. Behold, you are to, to them like one who sings lustful songs with a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. For they hear what you say, but they will not do it. When this comes, and come it will, then they will know that a prophet has been among them. So here's what the Lord's saying. Ezekiel, you've been having these church services. And you stand up with a message, and people come, because they're entertained and interested in what you have to say. And they sit down and say, okay, preacher man, give give us a good word. Keep our attention. And uh, they come in and, and you, you speak and you share my message for them and they leave completely unchanged. They enjoyed the sermon. They enjoyed the preaching moment. They were, they were you know, in, they were uh, uh, interested, but they weren't transformed. And it's very interesting to think about how that applies to Christians today. The people in this day and time who were listening to Ezekiel himself preach were were entertained by God's word. But they were not serious about God's word. And you do know that can happen, right? You can be entertained by God's word without being serious about God's word. So here's the application as Christians. Hear and do God's word. We don't want to be like the, the Jews in captivity in Ezekiel's day that come and say, hey, give me a good sermon, preacher. Keep my attention for 30 minutes. And leave with no intention to, to adjust our lives in any way in response to what God is saying to us from his word. And so we want to be hearers of the word. And there are so many resources nowadays. There, you know, we have... You know, Bible studies, we have sermons here on Sunday mornings, we have D groups, we have other Bible studies that meet, we have online capabilities to tune in to almost any preacher in the nation and hear them preach. And, and, uh, and, and there's, there's all these resources out there where we can just take in the Word of God and take in Bible teachers and preachers and even be entertained by it, even enjoy it while really having no intention to let God's Word have its way in our lives. Did you know it's possible, listen to me, this is interesting, it's possible to enjoy church and ignore God. Do you hear what I just said? It's possible to enjoy church. I like the songs, I like the, you know, this guy kept my attention for a few minutes, and uh, I like what we did, and I see my friends, and, and yeah, yeah, church is good. It's, a good. it's a part of my life, it's good, with really no life change happening. You say, wait, is that possible? Happened in Ezekiel's day. Ezekiel, his name was on the book of the Bible, <laughs> and they were ignoring his messages. So the application is, hear and do God's word. Over in James 1, this message is very, very clear. 
where it says that God doesn't want us just to be hearers of the word, to be doers of the word, that we respond to God's word, we obey God's word with our lives. 1 John 3, similar passage. And so we want to make sure that when we are exposed to the teaching and the preaching, the reading of the word of God, that we're actually letting it transform us, that we're actually making adjustments in our lives. So here's my question for all of you in here. And this has nothing to do with, with my ability as a preacher. That's not what this message question is about. It has to do with your receptivity to the Word of God. The question is, when was the last time you made an adjustment in your life in response to the Word of God? The last time you actually changed something, maybe the way you thought about something, or an action in your life, or an attitude in your life, where there actually was some, some transformation in response to what the Word says. And if you're scratching your head saying, oh, I can't really remember the last time that happened, then maybe it's time to come with a different posture. Come to worship to say, hey, listen, it's not just about us you know, getting out of here on time. I'm here to encounter the living God. Right? That's what worship's about. Encounter the living God. And, and I want God, when I come and sit in here on a Sunday or sit in my Bible study on a Sunday, I, I want God to speak to me. I want God to, to change me. I want God to transform. I want to leave different than when I walked in. I've had people tell me through the years, and say it quite a bit. Some of you said it to me. Boy, you stepped on my toes this morning, preacher. You know what you're saying? You're saying, hey, God spoke to me on some stuff. I needed to hear some things. You know what my response is? Well, God stepped on my toes all week long. i got to study it all week long, get it ready to preach to you. And guess what God's doing? He's convicting me as I study, right? And so we want to be receptive to the Word of God in that we hear and then we do. We hear and then we do. Number five, and we'll be through. There's a word for the shepherds. A word for the shepherds. And... Here in chapter 34, the metaphor of a shepherd is applied to the leaders. I think this um, designation applies to the political leaders and the spiritual leaders of the Jews. And God has some things to say about the leaders, the shepherds of Israel, starting there in chapter 34. So look what it says in chapter 34, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel... Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, the leaders, Thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have, been, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you, not, you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. They became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Now the Lord tells us here that a leader's job, a shepherd's job, this is on the political, in the political realm, this is in the spiritual realm, a shepherd's job is to feed the sheep. Verse 2, he said, you spend a lot of time as leaders taking care of your own needs. But your job is actually take care of the needs of those you are leading. To feed the sheep. 
Their job is to take care of the sheep, to provide that which they need for the sheep to thrive. That's in verse 3 and 4. And then in verses 5 and 6, their job was to protect the sheep, protect the sheep from enemies. And this all comes from shepherd imagery. You know, shepherds, if they were doing their job, they would lead their sheep to to green pastures. That's foreshadowing for a verse I'm going to mention in a moment. They would lead their, their sheep to green pastures. They would protect them from natural predators. Uh, they would take care of their health needs. They, they watched over the sheep as loving shepherds so that their sheep could thrive. And the Lord's saying that's what leaders should do. So here was one of the fundamental issues with the Jews. Poor leadership. Political leadership, religious leadership, poor leadership. And he says, it affected my sheep. It affected my people. So if you look there under application, God desires to care for his people through faithful shepherds. God desires to care for his people through faithful shepherds. One of the ways that God cares for people is by, is by appointing faithful shepherds. But the shepherd's got to be faithful for the sheep to be cared for. Ralph Alexander writes this, Lack of leadership always leads to disintegration of God's people and personal and corporate heartache and injury. And then here's the statement, the sentence that really uh, captured my heart this week. Leadership carries an awesome responsibility. That's what Alexander says. Leadership carries an awesome responsibility. Why? Because God intends for leaders to provide the care for his people. So the issue with Israel, lack of faithful leadership. And listen, just read the Old Testament. There are some bright spots, but not very many. There's more negative examples of leadership than there are positive examples of leadership. Which leads to the last application under a word for the shepherds. And this is good news. The Lord is the ultimate shepherd. And so what he's saying here is this. My shepherds have failed. So I stepped in to be the shepherd. Look what he says there in verse 11. He says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep. I love that. And I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples, gather them from the countries, will bring them into their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture. On the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land." Therefore, I love this imagery, they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. So what's God saying? My appointed shepherds have failed. My people have experienced catastrophe. So I am stepping in to be their shepherd. And I will care for them and I will restore them and I will renew them and I will bring them back to the land and I will do for them what they need. The Lord here is the ultimate shepherd. And that's good news, isn't it? Because people let us down. But the Lord promises to be our shepherd if we will but let him. So you can't read that passage, can you, without thinking about the 23rd Psalm. 
How's the 23rd Psalm start? How's it start? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Uh, even though I walk through the uh, uh, valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Um, and, and you know what? My head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I said that real fast. I know. But that's the 23rd Psalm. And it speaks of the shepherd's care for his sheep. It means that God provides, God protects, God makes his presence real when you're walking through valleys. God is a God who is good. He is our shepherd if we will let him. So here's the the big question. Well, I want God to be my shepherd. I want God to take care of me. I want God to watch over me. I want God to be with me. I want God to uh, help me when I fall. I, I, want, I want God to be my shepherd. I, wanna, I want the peace that he brings. I, I want the God to be my shepherd. How can I know that God is my shepherd? Well, Jesus made it really, really clear in John chapter 10 when he said this, I am the good shepherd. If you want God to take care of you, if you want God to be your shepherd, you come to Jesus, the good shepherd, and he'll bring you into that relationship with God whereby you can be a sheep, a part of the fold of God himself. The Lord is the ultimate shepherd, and that's good news, isn't it? The leaders blew it. They blew it. But the Lord's saying, I'm the good shepherd. Hey, one quick application of this. I've talked to a lot of people through the years that have been burned by churches, burned by leaders, burned by some kind of ugliness in a spiritual body. And oftentimes the impulse is, I'm done. I'm done with church. I'm done with you know, that whole deal. I'm done, with, I'm done with pastors. I'm done with preachers. I don't trust anybody. And, and that's kind of the, the, the instinct that a lot of people have when they get burned. And maybe some of you in this room, you've been burned uh, in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in the body of Christ at some point in your past. But here's the deal. Don't put that on Jesus. He's the good shepherd, amen? And even when people let you down, and they will, people let you down, even when people let you down, Jesus is a faithful shepherd, and you can continue to lean on him and follow him and serve him and be faithful to him because he is the ultimate shepherd. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's word. May the Lord richly bless you.